morning church <laughs> it's it's just exciting to see this place and it's a lovely spot that you have to worship here and uh, we have had the opportunity to meet a few of you already this morning and we're looking forward to uh, as we share a meal with you later on to get to know a little bit more about you and hear about your worship here and all that so mm -hmm. thank you pastor for your warm and gracious invitation I'm gonna pray um, Carl and I have decided mostly that's for us <laughs> so um, I'm just going to do that this time. Lord Jesus, we just uh, invite you here. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your um, grace. And we thank you that you give us opportunities to serve you here and um, just in each place that you've put each, each believer, Lord. So we thank you for all these things. And uh, we just ask that Carl and I speak your words and share your love in a way that can be understandable to others, Lord. Amen. So in the strong name of Jesus, I do bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Papua New Guinea and also the church in Papua New Guinea. That someday, if you do not meet them on the earth, you will meet them in heaven. That's an exciting thought to me. <laughs> um, we uh, have been married 34 years. And uh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, Tim had a career as a lineman, uh, the high-wire electrical, for 30 years, and then uh, he retired, uh, but God had been working in our lives for many years before that, and uh, so we knew for a while that we were going to um, travel overseas, and it's still hard for us to put missionary next to our name. That's just the truth of it, because, um, you know, we're just, everybody's a missionary to us. Uh, whether you are a missionary here at where you work or your church or um, the grocery store or over in Papua New Guinea. Um, we have two grown daughters. Our oldest one is married and her and her husband live in Tokyo, Japan. And they both have uh, their theology degrees and she teaches at a Montessori um, preschool there. And then um, our second daughter is a nurse at Seattle Children's in the oncology department. And she just got married August 14th. So um, Pastor Dave was saying, what are you guys doing tonight? And I said, well, we get to see the newlyweds tonight. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Anyways, um, no grandkids yet, so please pray for us. <laughs> I'm ready. I've been ready. Anyways, um, so when you look at the world, Australia as a continent is below the equator and then directly north of Australia is Papua New Guinea. It's still south of the equator, though it's just four degrees off the equator. And uh, when you land in Papua New Guinea, you land on the southern coast in the port city of Port Moresby, that's an international city. That takes hours, you know, like half a day to get to that point. And then you take another hour flight into the highlands, and that is where the Kujip, uh, where the Nazarene Hospital is that uh, we are stationed at. Um, the hospital was formed, well, it actually started, you know, in uh, the 50s with Wanda and Sydney Knox that came as missionaries there. And uh, then they had a school for boys. They saw a need, and they fulfilled that need. From there, they took many of the boys and trained them to be what they call doctor boys, um, glorified nursing people that could run clinics. So there again, they were filling a need. 
And from there, they formed the hospital. And in 2006, they had the 50th anniversary of missionaries, Nazarene missionaries being up in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. Um, so that's where we live. Um, we're we're going to show a video, but I just before that, I just want to say that on the station, <laughs> it's amazing. We have a hospital and everybody that works in the hospital, which includes about 800 people besides the 15 missionary families that are there. So there's maintenance workers, um, staff for the hospital, everything you can think of, administrators, um, and then there's also a college of nursing. Virginia Steimer was the first um, missionary that went over and she uh, did everything that was necessary to form a college. And now that's been turned over to the nationals. And we have, th it takes three years to become a nurse there. And it's all of the best and the brightest of the um, Papua New Guineans. And they come there not just to be a nurse. They come there because they know that they're going to learn how to minister in the Lord. And that is such a special, awesome thing to be a part of. So it's, it is like living on a college campus, as well as a hospital is five minutes from where we live. So it's all really fun. At the table out in the foyer, I did bring a picture of a man. He's a man now. But when he was 12 years old, Matan was sponsored by the Nazarene Church, child sponsorship that we have. He was soon orphaned after that, and the compassionate ministries that the Nazarene Church has picked him up and paid for, continued to pay for him through the high school, and then he was accepted into the College of Nursing program. He's in his second year of nursing there. I know him very well. He leads worship. He's an on-fire man of God, and I have pictures of him back there. Um, if you would like to see a success of a child sponsorship, see him as an adult. I, j I just get so excited about that because it does work, and we can't know everything that God is doing through these sponsorships. But here's a picture of a man that is truly a God, godly man and running after God full tilt. So if you want to show that video. Thank you so very much for your incredible partnership with us. God continues to do amazing things here in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. Through your prayers, encouragement, and financial support, lives are being changed and stories written for eternity. Thank you and may God bless you. When we left our careers in the United States, we had no idea what a call to missions would look like. For 30 years, I worked for Tacoma Public Utilities. And for more than 15 years, I had the opportunity to work in laboratories in various hospitals. It is absolutely amazing how God has taken our life experiences and skills and put them into his service here in Kuja. I never quite know what a day will bring. Each morning, I awake, leave home, placing the day's tasks and activities in God's hands. My primary responsibilities include property and facility management throughout the Melanesia South Pacific field. Some days will find me coordinating construction or remodel projects here at Kujip while other days could find me traveling to some of the most remote areas of the world, coordinating and delivering of materials and supplies in ways many people would find unimaginable. My days typically take me from the field office where I can be found compiling statistics for the field and then heading to the laboratory. 
donning my white coat and assisting in the testing of hundreds of laboratory specimens that have been received from patients who have visited the Nazarene Hospital here at Kutip. I also assist in quality control and staff education. Our roles, while supportive, enable incredible work to be accomplished through the Ministry of Nazarene Healthcare. Undoubtedly, our greatest joy is when we get to see God's hand at work in transforming the lives of the people of the Highlands. A couple of times each month, we find ourselves traveling over some of the roughest roads in Papua New Guinea with our generator, video projector, and big white sheet, taking the Jesus film and other Christian presentations to remote bush churches. On a regular basis, we'll have more than 100 people at each presentation, and God always moves in phenomenal ways. Frequently, there have been dramatic testimonies of God's transforming power at work in the lives of our PNG brothers and sisters. Whatever we are doing, whether that be in the field office working with a district superintendent, in the laboratory, in the ward drawing blood, or on a remote airstrip ministering to some of the most incredible people on earth, God continually allows us the opportunity to have special times of prayer and to see His hand at work. Coming from the world of public hospitals where prayer is sometimes a foreign thing, one of my greatest joys is the chance to pray with almost everyone we encounter and God continues to provide those opportunities all day long. Well, uh, those are some of our kids there, you know. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to read uh, a scripture found in Matthew 4. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So we really like that passage because that's kind of what Kujip is. You know, it's a Nazarene mission hospital. So it's a mission station and a hospital. And our little hospital there is 120 beds. And we learned from some of these people, some of these people, some of you people that we have talked to this morning already that have been there, you've gotten to see that already. And the great thing about it is, is that um, our little 120-bed hospital uh, sees about 56,000 people a year. So I don't know about the population center here, but like, you know, we're from Puyallup area, which is neighboring to Seattle. So that's kind of like plunking a little 120-bed hospital down where everybody in Seattle and beyond kind of that surrounding area can kind of come and get their stuff taken care of. Mm -hmm. So our level of care is probably a little bit different, but um, our people are pretty happy to have that available to them. So at this time, really what I want to do is, is just, I mean, we're just going to talk a little bit and kind of where Carl and I run into difficulties is that actually she does, doesn't have any problem with this, but I do. I want to talk about like the last 40 years of missions, you know, at, in Papua New Guinea, but we do not have time for that. So I'm, you know, I'll be paring it down, but, um, you know, if she pulls out her little hook and I kind of is nudging me or something, that's because I'm getting a little carried away. But we have a lot of fun, and we like to talk, and we love people, so, you know, you put a mic in our hands, and we could go past a little bit on the uh, potluck, <laughs> but we're going to try not to. Yep. So it's interesting to me. I mean, a lot of you guys, I mean, this is 
I don't know if anybody's ever seen this book, but I mean, I suspect some people are familiar with, uh, you know, missions books. And, um, you know, missions books have been around for a very long time. And the reason I like them is because they tell, they're written by missionaries, so they're, they're mission stories. And, you know, when I was a little kid, that was great, you know, to have somebody read you those stories and then read them yourself. But this one I picked out because I wasn't exposed to this one, which has the title of The Edge of Nowhere. <laughs> I mean, where do you suppose The Edge of Nowhere is in this book? Yeah, well, we're going to get there. I'm going to tell you. So this book was written by a guy. I guess I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here because really, no matter where we serve, Carla mentioned it earlier, we're all missionaries. I mean, the gospel calls all of us, you know, to be missionaries. So it doesn't matter if we're in PNG or Bolivia or Argentina or Tacoma or Centralia. Mm -hmm. we're, we all have our tasks. None of us get off the hook. But likewise, we're all called to obedience as believers. And that's kind of something that really impressed me when I read this book because I didn't get to read that book until I became a missionary. And three days after I became a missionary, well, probably four days, I got to see this book. So we, we packed up our lives in three suitcases apiece and got on the plane and headed for PNG. And that was three and a half years ago. And uh, once we got to our house, we kind of started unpacking things. And most everything was unpacked, but by golly, it was time to go. Because, well, we needed to put our stuff into a littler backpack. And then we needed to go meet the great pilots from MAF, which is uh, mm -hmm. Missions Aviation Fellowship those guys we love because we trust our lives to them regularly, and they're phenomenal bush pilots. So we packed our little bags, and we went back to the airport that we'd just come in on two or three days earlier, got on a small Cessna 206, and off we went for our 21-minute flight. But there's, you know, if you fly 21 minutes, well, no, that's true. There's a lot of great, great wilderness here, too. So, I mean, I've hunted down at Mount Adams, so I know that. But yeah. There, the bush is bush. I mean, it's really deep bush. If the plane goes down, you know, that's, that's a different situation than here. We, there's no search and rescue. So it's a little bit different. We're, our, our eyes were big. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was beautiful as we flew in. And I always, I always find it kind of embarrassing to describe this landing because as we got closer, I was sitting up front with the um, pilot. Brad was his name, and we got to know him later and he married a wonderful Nazarene girl um, mm -hmm. that had gone to NNU as well. And so we got to know them quite a bit better. But anyway, Brad was pointing to me. He says, hey, Tim, um, right over there is the runway. Well, I couldn't see it. I saw a mountain. <laughs> you know, and I'm not just doing a missionary story. I'm, I'm not making this up. I saw a mountain, and I didn't know where it was. And I was looking and looking and looking. And so, you know, I mean, I grew up. My dad had a couple of planes, nothing fancy, but, you know, so I flew. I wasn't like I was new to flying. I flew a bunch when I was a kid with my dad. And so I'm looking for this runway. I do not see a runway. And um, so then I got it. There's smoke wafting up, and it's kind of where Brad had pointed. And I'm thinking, I got it now. Now I know where this is. Well, he flew over, and it was kind of marking the runway, and we flew across, you went down kind of low and flew at a 45 across the runway to make sure there was no kids or pigs on the runway and went around and did our landing. Well, you know, later I found out that they hadn't marked the runway for us. They were just kind of gardening. They were burning bush so that they could put a garden in. <laughs> <laughs> it just coincidentally happened to be off the end of the runway. 
Anyway, so I'm going to describe this landing just for fun because yeah. it never gets better. Um, so you come in, you go across the runway at a 45 degree angle, and you come in this box canyon, and you come around, and then you, you the, I don't, the pilot gives it some throttle, quite a bit of throttle, and you start coming in, you know, pretty steep. He gets a throttle to yeah. come in. You know, like, Whew. flying with my dad, <laughs> we never did it that way. <laughs> we went around the pattern, you lined up, and sometimes he'd let me land, and you know, you're kind of pulling back on the throttle, you're floating it in, trying to hit the numbers. Oh, it's great. Yeah, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. That's not how they do it there. Okay, so I have to say something else here. The, the runway is um, carved out of a mountainside, and it's at a 11%. So my understanding is that percent and degrees are two different things. I think that percent is, 11% is like steeper than, it's not like, you know, like 11 degrees, it's like, something it's steep yeah so and it starts at a cliff yeah and, and ends, ends in a with a mountain mountain that's about <laughs> it's about four four times as high as your church and about a thousand well no yeah it's probably about a thousand feet long yeah about a thousand feet long and this is relevant to where i'm going to go with this whole story so remember these things i'm not just ranting here <laughs> so Anyway, so you come in, and it starts in a cliff and ends in a mountain and with this thing on the side, and it's our first time on something other than a paved runway. Mm -hmm. um, never mind that when Brad took off of the paved runway, the stall warning was going off as he's banking around, you know, and I'm thinking, that's kind of something. <laughs> well, you know, when you're coming in, he's coming in under power. It's a very short runway. It's 1,400 feet. He's coming in under power, and then right at the last bit, you know, you cut power, and you flare, and... I've been there a lot of times since this landing, and every time you stall the plane before you land. The trick is, if you're a really great pilot, you stall just before you touch down. Now, I have landed there since that landing with another organization, which my first clue should have been when I put on a helmet before we took off. <laughs> that wasn't good. That wasn't good. It was a rough landing, and we did have a general superintendent with us. Uh -huh. But we all survived. That was good. Yeah. Anyway, so I mention all those things. Because we're all, we're all called to a lot of things as Christians. But obedience is one of those things. And this is like, I understand, a faith promise Sunday. Pretty sure that obedience requires faith. And, you know, I was just, I'm, Carla doesn't know, because I just read through the faith promise thing this morning, and I'm adding some stuff here, so we'll hopefully get through it okay. Um, <laughs> The thing is, is that I love to talk about this guy that wrote this book because he's one of the old guys that did <laughs> missions when missions was really hard. It might be hard now, but it was really, really hard when these guys did it. And so this book was written in, it was released in the 7980 series. Yeah. So actually, you and I were young marrieds at that time, mm -hmm. been married about a year, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So here we are, we're just pups, we're just starting out. And this guy was out in the bush doing his thing. And if you read through this book, um, this is along about, just reference, I think it's along about 69, it, no, no, it'll be later than... Well, 70. 70? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wait a minute, so I got some things wrong there. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> okay, ask me about it later. I'll clarify all those dates. We're not, we haven't been married that long. Wow, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, so right about, I should just stick with the dates. So right about uh, 7980, he was doing this, his work. 
And uh, he was located in an area that's not far from where we go, which is called Doosan. And at that time, um, now PNG is an area, is a country filled with a lot of people. I mean, 7.3 million people. But amongst those people, there's like 800, they say, 847 different actual languages, not dialects, actual different languages. Yeah. And so we're exposed in our bit to like three or four. Yeah. And of course, we don't know all those. We, I know parts of many, but not, I can't, I'm not fluent in that. But the reality is, is that he uh, worked, he had a work that wasn't, you know, it was probably like 20 miles from the, where this is, Dusan. This is in the mountains. So in those days, in, in 68, 20 miles in the mountains was a long ways because there was no airstrip, you know, that we landed on. When he was there, he just put the word out that he was looking for an appropriate site to build an airstrip because airplanes is still the only way that we can get there. And so he wanted to build a runway so that he could, because <laughs> he had heard that there was a group of people that hadn't heard yet. And so he was obedient, and he checked out a lot of sites, and this is all documented in this small book. He checked a lot of places, and eventually he found, or someone found, this Doosan area. Now, the runway that we are just telling funny stories about, which is kind of freakishly scary to land and take off from, wasn't even that at that time. That mountain of earth, I describe it to you in relevance to your worship area because I want you to understand what he pulled off through obedience and faith. So that someday, you know, other missionaries, including Carl and I, could go there and keep doing what he had the faith to start. They moved, you know, a, a, a block of dirt about the width of your church, plus a little bit, mm -hmm. and about a thousand feet long, and about three times as high by hand. And they, they did this with shovels and bags because the guys were too short. They're, they're a lot taller now, so, but I'm still a very tall person in the Coban area. Yeah. So at this time, they're pretty small. So wheelbarrows didn't work. They were actually too short to be able to lift the wheelbarrows high enough to you know, move them above the little legs, the legs of the wheelbarrow. Yeah. So I think what's really cool is, is that again and again, I think back of the obedience of previous missions throughout the world within the Nazarene structure, and others, of course, but we're talking about Nazarenes today. So I just want you guys to know that I have the greatest and deepest respect for the church that we all are attending today because through many people's obedience and foresight and listening to God, things have been done throughout the world. And uh, to me, that's a pretty cool thing. So I want to say something here, and this is the part that Carl is not expecting. <laughs> I saw your, I, I was reading through your Faith Promise Bulletin. So I was reading one line here. It says, the Faith Promise concept in its purest form is simply being willing to be used of God as a conduit through which he can manifest his ability to bless and provide. Yeah. Now the reason that really struck me and the reason I need to talk about it is because it's kind of a prelude to this segment of this story. 
which is a continuation of the earlier part. After we came barreling into that runway and landed safely and were met by quite a few people, got all their stuff, moved down to the old mission house and got settled in. Um, you know, there's no electricity. There was, um, well, there's running water, but we got to pump it up to the roof first. Um, there's no cell phone, there's no internet. And so uh, with the deletion of all those modern conveniences that we normally enjoy and that allow us to be distracted from things in life, <laughs> it was Carl and I, the rats, and a lot of quietness. <laughs> so, you know, um, Carla had mentioned that we had both left our careers and I had worked for 30 years for an outfit. And, I mean, we were both compensated fairly well for our positions, and we're used to pretty much just being able to have whatever we wanted to have. I don't mean that in, like, a grandiose way. I just mean we lived responsibly, but, you know, mm -hmm. if we wanted to go out to dinner, we could do that. And so, um, you know, as we prepared for missions, now remember I read this faith promise thing, which is basically <laughs> we're going to see what God can do if we promise to be obedient. Um, in preparation for that, I'm sure that, Many of you experienced whatever happened during the nine, 2009, 2010, 2011 economics. And, you know, we weren't immune from that either. But that was a time when we were preparing to go to be missionaries yeah. and find out what that really meant. And so about the time that uh, we were getting on the plane from Seattle to head for uh, Papua New Guinea, um, our college student... Um, our youngest was still in college or just graduated, I should say. But our daughters, our two daughters, um, could could relate with mom and dad a little bit better because our economic standard between my college daughters and their mom and dad was pretty much equal. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, I'm a very independent person, and I think Carla is a little bit too. And we've, you know, we've tried to be responsible throughout our lives and all that. But I, I, I learned something. I actually learned that, you know, sin can be a lot of different things. And, you know, I mean, you don't think about the missionary standing up and talking about sin, I don't think, but this is benign, so don't, don't freak out. Um, but, you know, I laid there in Doosan in the dark, and I would wake up a couple of times, and I, I just had this crazy desire to get on the Internet and check my bank account. I already knew I was broke, but I wanted to check. <laughs> and I don't say that to be funny, but I mean, really. So, but fortunately, I mean, God has blessed me. I make a lot of mistakes in life, you guys, and I continue to do so. But God is a graceful God, and um, I've learned that it's better just to go, I'm sorry. And so during those moments of the pre-dawn or whenever it was that I woke up, I realized that for me, that was wrong to not trust the Lord in those things. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, it didn't take three times, it took two times. And I haven't had that problem since. <laughs> but I'm just here to say that I really think that that ties so closely with faith promise. We haven't presented it in this way before, that our faith in the things that God can do for us is real. And I've told this story before, but not in that way, because uh, I just want you guys to realize that, I mean, 
missionaries, whoever they are, just normal people, and we have our own weaknesses, but mm-hmm. we take them to the Lord, and we say, I'm sorry, and we repent, and that's what I had to do with this whole financial thing, mm-hmm. and so I guess it's evident yeah. we're missionaries from Papua New Guinea, three and a half years later, <laughs> standing in front of you guys, and it, God is faithful. That's what I am saying here. Yeah. You know, Daryl Shindell was obedient and faithful, and he built a runway that is still in service. It's had its ups and downs. It's had its difficult times. But see, right now, that same runway allows the new district superintendent for that area, uh, Penny Fukawa, who is a Nazarene missionary from Samoa, wonderful man, wonderful family, one of my best friends there. Um, So he and I go into this Koban area, every six weeks, and uh, he is an amazing trainer because that's what he, he, does. he does. He's at the Nazarene Bible College, and so he has a fairly large district. He has um, 45-ish pastors, mm-hmm. many preaching points, and around 4,000. Yep. I have to ask Carla because she does the stats for the church. <laughs> so, and around 4,000 uh, church members. Yeah. That's a big deal. <clears throat> so, when we go to Dusan, we, we actually um, go there every six weeks, and he does training. I think I guess I mentioned that. But it's important because yeah. what was started in the late 60s, maybe the early, early 70s, hasn't been finished. It's still going on. But the work has been transferred to the national folks. And so now what missions means is, is that we're training, we're mentoring we're still working toward the goal of becoming, you know, a unified church and melding culture of our culture with the Samoan culture, with the PNG culture, so that we can all worship the same God in kind of a cohesive way. Yeah. So, I'm, <clears throat> my timer didn't work, so I'm looking oh. at that timer back there. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things... Sorry. One of the things that I do get to do, and you saw on the video, was uh, I do work in the lab two mornings a week. And uh, that was really good for me because it gave me a chance to learn all about culture. The rest of the people in the lab are Papua New Guineans. And it was just an incredible um, experience to learn a different culture. And I'm still, we're still both learning and trying to understand it. But what working in the lab also did was it exposed me to the patients. I'm able to go into the wards anytime that I want. I work with the chaplains. They have chaplains there. And basically, when a patient comes in, they receive um, a list of things that has to happen with this patient before they can leave. And one of the things on the piece of paper is a visit from the chaplain. They're not going to leave the church Sorry, I call it hospital of the church sometimes. They're not going to leave the hospital until they've seen the chaplain, and I love that. And because many patients come in and they are really sick, they've waited a long time before they came into the hospital, many people there are, are there for months. And so they get daily visits from the chaplains. And so you can, you can see that that is a place where people are saved, right in the hospital wards. And then eventually... God starts speaking to them, and they voice to the chaplains or to the nurses or to the doctors. You know, our tribe, our city doesn't have a church. How do we get a church there? 
And so it's a vehicle that the Nazarene Church now uses to plant churches, too. It's just incredible. Um, 15, 20 minutes down the road, we do have a Bible college. And we're just here to tell you that it is on fire. Every year they have a practicum, and they send groups of people out. They have prayed and received from God, you know, the area of Papua New Guinea, and it could be an outer island, too. And they go out for a month, and they have prayed. There's a foundation of prayer, and always there is somebody there waiting for them. To, and they are saved. They gather a group of people around them. The, the uh, students come back from this kind of uh, practicum, and they've already started a church there. And then a pastor is raised up and sent out to uh, shepherd that church. This is going on every year, and it's just, I, I just like to think about that. But we've also met so many of the circuit pastors and because there's not enough pastors in Papua New Guinea for the, um, all of the groups of people that are wanting to worship him. And so they have to go out on a circuit and visit the churches. And Tim and I have been in a church, and there's a huge mountain in the background, and we're, we're talking to the circuit pastor, and we're just like, so where's your circuit? And he's, he just points at the mountain over there. I go on the other side of that over there. We're blown away. You know, we, he was born for that. He's being obedient. That, that's what he's supposed to be doing, and he, they are doing it. It's exciting. Um, the other thing that I do uh, during the week is I work in the field office, and part of my responsibilities is statistics for the Nazarene Church, and I'm putting numbers into a program for headquarters, um, basically so they can make some decisions about what's happening in the world. And, uh, you know, it's the driest, dullest stuff you would ever want to look at. Numbers going into a computer until God gets a hold of it. When God gets a hold of it, I have to put a seatbelt on. Um, one of my responsibilities for stats is I get to enter the names of the new churches throughout all of Papua New Guinea. There are 12 districts and there are uh, over 500 churches. But also another responsibility I have is to um, put in the name of a church that needs to be disorganized. That's heartbreaking to me. And I had a meeting with District Superintendent Enoch, and he came to the field office. The meeting was because I needed to ask him about the, the names of some churches that we were gonna disorganize. I sat down with him and I was heartbroken because I had to ask him this question. <laughs> and so I did, I said, you know, DS Enoch, I know from the stats that there are some churches here that we probably should think about, are we gonna disorganize these churches or not? And he looked at me and he said, Carla, we are not disorganizing any churches. I've had a vision from God and he showed me that I am gonna to go to each one of these places and they are going to be reconciled. They are going to be restored. God is gonna do this work. And I'm here to tell you, three years later, that is what God is doing. This is a district that's only an hour from where we live in the Highlands. 
Um, in 2009, they had 2,000 members. In 2013, they had 4,000 members. They are on fire. But where there is so much fire, the enemy tries to rise up. So if you would like to pray for a Papua New Guinean, District Superintendent Enoch would be the one that I would ask you to pray for. His wife's name is Vero. They are going through a lot of persecution. His wife is always sick. So if you would like to, you could pray for D.S. Enoch and his wife, Vero. They are wonderful people, and he's, they are just being obedient, but sometimes it's hard. So I just wanted to share their story with you and tell you that we just are so excited to be in a place where the Lord is working, his kingdom is being built, and um, we, we do have more stories, of course, and everything that that entails, but we just wanted to share those things with you, so. Okay. So I, I guess the, the question begs, you know, why do we do missions? And I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of people have a ready answer for that. And um, the thing is that, um, it, you know, it can't happen without everybody. It's, it's a big organization and there's a lot of stuff going on worldwide. But, you know, there's so many great, great stories that Jesus tells us about and that are written down here, especially in the New Testament, of why we would do what we do. And uh, one that really, I mean, settles in my heart with missions is that, you know, if you think about this in kind of an abstract way, I think it'll make sense, but it's a story of the blind beggar that receives his sight. I mean, before Christ, really, we're all blind beggars. There just isn't much. <laughs> and this guy had not much. I'm just going to read through it quick. So as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd, I'm sorry, uh, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So, you know, missions in church, it's all the same thing. We all start out as blind beggars. Um... Some will call out and say, what's going on? And some will say, you know, Jesus, of course, is going to say, what do you want? And we all want to see. And I'm not talking about with my eyes. Of course, we want to see with our eyes. But we all want to see. And that's really what missions is about, too, because um, it would probably be a unique day that Carla or I, this is going to sound kind of funny but in our culture, but it would be a unique day that Carl and I didn't walk around the mission station by the hospital in particular where people are coming in as patients. And this is not a derogatory term in PNG. But you'll hear some little kid just sing out, they call it, that means to yell. He'll, they'll say, white man, white man, white Mary, white Mary, which of course means, you know, a white guy or a white woman. <laughs> and the reality is, the reason I bring this up as an example is because 
with each new generation, that little dude had never seen a white guy before or had not seen a white woman before. This happens to us routinely. Mm -hmm. Not that that's a big deal. What is a big deal is, is that that generation has not heard yet. Mm -hmm. Just as in our own culture, that generation has not heard yet. So the mission never stops. The work can't be done. And um, mm -hmm. it just happens that Carl and I are working at it 7,000 miles from here. So we really appreciate what you guys do, and we appreciate that you support the Nazarene mission effort as a whole through Faith Promise, mm -hmm. as David said. Yeah. So we could talk for hours and have before, but not with a mic in front of a church, so we're not going to start today because <laughs> there's food. So we just want to thank you all for yeah. um, your hospitality, your lovely spirit, and um, the opportunity to... Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. We're gonna... No, that's okay. okay. So here, we just wanted to say this again. And Jesus went about all Washington State, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all of Centralia and Chehalis and Olympia, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him, from Kujip, Dusan, Madang, Port Moresby, and from the Nazarene Church, uh, and way beyond Jerusalem. Say amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.